I would like to ask the children to come up front again. You guys are already up here. Let's bring a couple more up here, at least four or five. Come on, Jacob, you come up too. Anna. Brooklyn, let's see what we got. All right. Why don't you guys just kind of stand across here. Now, you can look at this screen a little bit if you want to. I got understand you've been studying about the six days of creation and the seventh day that God rested on. Have you been learning about some of that? Can you help me with some of it? Okay. What happened on the first day when God was creating the heavens and the earth? Genesis 1 tells us about it. What happened on the first day? What did he do? He, not quite yet, but he did separate light from darkness. Okay? So, can I give that to you? Just hold on to that for a second. That's day one, right there. It says day and night on it. Okay? What happened on the second day? Can you tell? Can you see what in that second picture up there? There's a sky on the top and the waters beneath. God separated the two. So, there was water above and water beneath. Okay, if you hold that, please, Nyla. Let's put the two out there so everybody can see that. What happened on the third day when God was creating the heavens and the earth? Hmm? He separated out the land, okay? Uh, it just looked like a bunch of water and stuff, but he brought up the land, and he started putting plant life on there, okay? So land between uh, the land and the sea. What about the fourth day? Now's your answer, Jacob. What did he do? The sun and the moon, okay? Moon and the stars. That's the fourth day of creation where he gave us something so we could see during the day and also something where we could see a little bit at night. So it's a blessing to us. Now we get to the fifth day. What's going on the fifth day? What do you see in that picture down the middle of the bottom there? Huh? you see anything in the sky? Birds in the sky, and what's down in the water? Turtle and a dolphin. Okay, the rest of you are being so quiet today. Is this normal? Is this the way you're at home? You, you guys really have it well, don't you? are just quiet all the time. Great. Okay, so on this fifth day, we have the fish and all of the life in the seas, which is a lot more than that, and all of the air animals or birds or whatever we would call them. Then on the sixth day we have two very important things happening. First thing that happened is what? Animals. Okay, all of the land creatures. And then we also had created Adam and Eve, man and woman. Okay, if you'll hold that please. I don't know who's going to hold the seventh one. What happened on the seventh day? He rested. Do you guys ever rest? Not so much, okay? <laughs> Sometimes. Okay, so God rested, and it wasn't so much that God's exhausted because God doesn't get exhausted, but he was establishing a pattern for us because we need to rest. If we take rest out of our lives, out of that cycle of life, we ended up hurting ourselves. So there needs to be a period of rest. So every uh, seven days or so, it's good for us to have a break. So there's a day of rest that God established there. Now, if we put these up here, we can stand these up. Let's go in reverse order here. Let's put that one there. Number six, come down and put yours on there, Haley, please. Okay, put it right on top of number seven. Sorry, put it on top of that one. Okay, and put the six in front there. Okay, we'll get it all going here. Number five. All right, number four. 
number three, number two, and number one, okay? Good job, everybody. The seven days of creation. Thank you for helping out. I've got something here for each of you. We take one of these sheets. It'll give you a, a chance to color through these days of creation while we continue the sermon today, okay? Thank you very much. Whoops, there's two of them there. Pass that along. There you go. Thank you, guys. Let's give the kids a hand. They always wonder what I'm going to do to them. What's the spot we're going to be put in today? We're up in front of everybody. This is embarrassing. I really like coming up here like that. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. Help us to get a, a better grasp of that today. Um, there's so much more. There isn't anybody in this room that understands this perfectly. It has it all together. Uh, so all of us has something that we can learn right now. Um, and we go to your word today looking for uh, your revelation, for news that you've shared with us that we would not have known otherwise. Bless us as we do that, because that's your desire, is that we would be filled with that knowledge, that awareness, and it would change our lives. Truth will set us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was April 24th, 1964. I was nine years old. <laughs> so don't start figuring the math there. But I was a fourth grader at New Haven Elementary School, Indiana. That evening, my family and I watched Rod Serling's The Twilight Zone. It was in its fifth season. I'll never forget the story that evening my family and I watched. It was called Stopover in a Quiet Town. And uh, just let me tell you, I found this episode online. I don't know the dates. My memory is not that good. But I remember the images. And I remembered that as I was preparing this sermon. And I thought, I remember watching The Twilight Zone. The opening introduction went this way. Bob and Millie Frazier were young New Yorkers who have attended a party in the country last night. On the way home, they took a detour and apparently got lost. Now, most of us waking in the morning know exactly where we are. The rooster, the alarm clock, brings us out of sleep into familiar sights, sounds, aromas of home, the comfort of a routine day ahead. Not so with our young friends. This will be a day like none they've ever spent, and they'll spend it in the twilight zone. <laughs> A married couple, Bob and Millie Frazier, wake up in an unfamiliar house. Millie remembers only that Bob drank too much at a party the night before and that she had to drive him home. And while they were driving home, a large shadow appeared over their car. And the next thing, they're waking up the next morning. They discover that the house they're in is not their house. It's mostly props. The telephone has no connection. The cabinetry is merely glued on facing. The refrigerator is filled with plastic food. They hear a girl's laughter, and they go outside to find the child. However, once outside, they discover the town is deserted. They find a stuffed squirrel, searched for help in a vacant church, and ring the bell in the church's bell tower to attract attention, but nobody comes, and they become increasingly desperate. They discover the trees are fake. The grass is paper mache. They hear a train whistle and eager to leave the town, rush to the train depot. 
and board the empty train. But as the train leaves the station with a sign that reads Centerville, <laughs> that's interesting, they begin a light-hearted conversation, vastly relieved. However, when the train soon comes to a stop again in Centerville, they realize it's only gone in a circle. They're back where they started. They leave the train and they begin walking out of the town and once again hearing a little girl's laughter. A shadow falls over them and they flee only to be scooped up by the hand of a gigantic child. And the little girl's mother says, Be careful with your pets, dear. Your father brought them all the way from earth. At her mother's bidding, the little girl drops the couple back into the town, which is now revealed to be a model village with a miniature railway running around it. <laughs> I remember that episode. What a horrible, inescapable tragedy for that young couple. They went from the freedom of living however they wanted to becoming the pets of this capricious little girl on some planet far away from home. They could never escape. They could never go home. They could never live the lives that they dreamed of living. They were completely at her mercy. And they were destined for a lifetime of frustration and pain. How many of you saw that episode? Anybody? Okay, now I know how old you are. Well, maybe you saw it when they, you know, they just played it again sometime. And how many kids are sitting here wondering, what is the world, is the, the twilight zone? What is that? Yeah, yeah, okay. We'll explain it to you later. Well, sometime earlier in my life, probably a couple years before that, along with the ages of these children that came up here today, I first heard the story of creation, did you? Genesis chapter 1. It was a story of Almighty God creating another universe, more specifically, planet Earth, what we are familiar with. Like the children who came up here, I marveled at the days of creation as light and darkness and land and sea and plant life and animal life were created day after day until finally, on the sixth day, God created us, humankind. God's creation is so much better than the creation of that little girl on that planet that her father made for her. So much better than the toy train set that the father made. God made a world of amazing possibilities for every person born into this world. In God's world, many new people are being born every day. I don't even know what that number is, but it's got to be hundreds and hundreds every day. And God made a world of possibility for each of those people, whatever circumstances they're born into, for their lives to mean something, for something to happen good in their life. They can choose to know their Creator and live the way He wants them to live, or they can choose to shun their Creator and live however they want to live. That's our choice. We can choose to live for ourselves or live for God. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Where was God before he did this? Before he established all of this? Before, just out of his mind, out of nothing, he created everything we will ever experience? Where was God? What was he doing? Do any of you know? Have you ever thought about it? As I thought about this, I started wondering what else God had to do back then. You know, what, what were his to-do lists that day, you know? Well, even now, what's God's to-do list? We, 
we know a little about our universe. We know that this universe is much more than we ever thought it was. And it is constantly expanding. In fact, it's growing so quickly, nobody can keep track of it. Nobody can keep up with it. We can't even see to the end of it. Does God have more universes than this? You thought about that? What was he doing when he decided to make the earth and mankind? Where did that thought come from? We can't possibly know for sure, but we can know why God created us here on earth and, and what this story became because he tells us the reason he gave the Bible was so we would know him and we would know what his desires, what his plan is for us. What was in the mind and heart of God when he created this universe? What was he doing? What was his purpose? What was his point? Anybody want to venture a guess this morning? Fellowship with him. Okay, good answer. What was his point? Worship. Well, why... Why would a God who doesn't need anything decide that he would create a world like ours and put us on it? That's the question. I think the Apostle Paul gives us a clue about God's purpose in creation in 2 Timothy. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. In chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says that he, that is God, has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. I want to underline that or think about that. Because of his own purpose and grace. This is the hint, the clue. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus, Paul says, before the beginning of time. Now wrap your mind around that a little bit. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Notice verse 9 again. God saved us because of his own purpose and grace. These two words are brought together here. God had a purpose in creating this world. What was it? It wasn't to be, I'm sure, this capricious child playing with her human pets. It was much more than that. We were not some kind of grand experiment that God was trying because he didn't know what would happen. God was not curious and saying, I just set it in motion and see where it goes. Because God already knows everything. He's not limited in any way. He already knew exactly what would happen. So what was his purpose after all? It was both his purpose and his grace that we would be created. So why are these two tied together? What was his purpose? Was he, was he up to something? He just bored? You know, what was going on here? We cannot imagine or fathom the mind of God. We don't have the intelligence to figure him out. In fact, the Bible says his ways are mysterious and past finding out. His ways are unsearchable, it says in another place. And yet there is a hint in 2 Timothy 1.9. The hint is that his purpose and his grace are put together. The reason God created the world we live in required his grace to make it happen. So the purpose is one thing. The grace is what makes that purpose possible. Think about this for a moment. Stitched together with God's 
purpose in creating the universe was his grace toward us. Because without his grace, the purpose couldn't have happened. And what was that purpose? God's purpose in creating this world was to create human beings made in his image. In fact, Genesis tells us that. Let us make man in our image. Male and female, let us create them in our image. People, human beings who could exercise free will. And this freedom of will allows us to decide whether we will live forever as God's children or reject God and live as we want to. In other words, God had a purpose to create man, but he didn't want just to create a robot or a puppet or someone who had to do whatever he said because he was bigger and stronger than them. He wanted that individual, that creature, to be able to choose how they would live. And hopefully to choose to live for God and with God. But there was a big risk God was taking, wasn't there? Because with free will came the choice to reject God as well. Noah, verse 9 here in 2 Timothy says, This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Isn't that amazing? Before time existed, God knew what his entire plan was going to be. Before he ever set time in motion, whenever he turned on the knob or the clock that wound it up and said, get going here, before any of that, he knew exactly where it was going to go. And he knew that man would fail and that he would have to step in and redeem mankind from sin. Before he made something out of the formless void, before he made light, before he separated the heavens from the sea, before he created dry land, before he made any creatures or mankind, God created a plan, a plan to redeem fallen man. And I just sit and wonder about that. Before time began, God knew. God did it. He set it all in motion. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, before there was a flood and Noah, before Abraham, before King David, God had a plan to save us. Before there was time, days, weeks, months, seasons, years, there was a plan that God's Son, Jesus, would interject himself into time and space at some point in order to bring salvation to fallen human beings like us. Now, I told the children earlier, or at least I hoped I did, I don't know if I even said it, that they should not forget that God loves them. But I want you kids to know that. I want you adults to know that. The reason God did all this is because he loves you. The reason he set all of this in motion is because there is such a depth of love for you that we'll have, have the rest of our lives to figure this out, to understand it, to appreciate it. We need to do the same thing as adults. Maybe you say, okay, yeah, I know God loves me. We sing Jesus loves me. I know all of that. We really thought about it. That the God of the universe loves you the depth that he loves you. That when he knew, before all of it happened, what we would do to him, how we would reject him, how we would sin against him, his grace was stitched to his purpose so that it could be accomplished. That's amazing. That's astounding. That's, that's awesome. Do you know God loves you that much? God's grace carefully crafted a plan, 
plan to redeem us from sin and give us eternal life, which we do not deserve. Do you know that? God has prepared and given us things we do not yet understand or appreciate. We have been made princes and princesses. And yet we still want to live like paupers. Why is that? You know, we've been given so much that we have not yet grasped. Do we know that? I'm not sure we do. And so that's why today we're starting this In Christ series. Because there's so much more to our life in Christ than we have yet understood. We're going to discover together who we are in Christ and what we have and what we've been given in Christ. We're going to learn the most amazing benefits we can ever enjoy because we are in Christ. Being in Christ changes everything. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul has this amazing passage about being in Christ. In fact, as I went through these first 14 verses, I discovered there's actually 12 times in 14 verses where he refers to us being in Christ. Okay, that, that's pretty amazing right there. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it up, and maybe you want to underline any time you see the word in Christ, or under Christ, or through Christ. Because the connection that we have to Christ changes everything. Ephesians chapter 1. So look for these places as I read, and maybe you can underline them in your Bible. Let's read it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. There's the first one. In Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. There it is again, before the creation to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Did you see them? Did you see how many times Paul says, I, I want you to get something here. In Christ means something. Being in Christ is special. This, this is amazing. And I'm going to keep saying it over and over again in this letter, Paul says, until you finally get it. Because in Christ, you have something you don't have out of Christ. And you are something that you are not without Christ. 
Jesus changes everything. Who are we in Christ? What do we have in Christ? We are God's beloved children. We are heirs of all of his promises. We are saints, chosen, part of a few who have been redeemed from sin by Christ and set up on the path to eternal life. We not only have the forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life, but we have everything we need to be all that God wants us to be. And that's what we're going to discover. Is God has already given us so much more than we know. And we're going to figure out what those things are. What are those benefits? What are those blessings? What are those aptitudes? What are those characteristics? What are those uh, powerful tools that can be used in our lives that God has already blessed us with in Christ? And yet, made princes and princesses, we live as paupers. 2 Timothy 1.9 tells us that God's grace was given to us before the beginning of time. Okay? Just get your mind around that. He gave us this before time ever existed. Ephesians 1.4 says that God chose us in Christ before the creation of this world. And just to confirm and further establish this, let me give you one other verse. Revelation 13.8. Revelation 13.8 that kind of this odd passage here where you've got this war going on at the end of times between the beast, which is a very wicked, evil thing, and the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. And in telling us about Christ's appearance in this battle scene, when the Lamb appears, it says that the Lamb has been slain and come back to life, and it says that this Lamb has been slain way back. Let's see how far back. Revelation 13.8 says this, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. This is what God knew when he created the world, that his son would have to die. And that's how much he loves us. The Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. Not literally, of course. Jesus wasn't killed back then because Jesus had not come to earth yet. In fact, Jesus was indestructible at that time. He's part of the Godhead who's saying, let us make man in our image. But the plan was already there so firmly that the Bible could say he was slain before the creation of the world. And when Jesus came to earth, he took on human body, which was not indestructible. And men were allowed to beat him to death, kill him on a cross. In God's mind, in God's intent, in God's purpose, Jesus was slain before the creation of the world. So let me just leave you with two things to hang on to this morning. First of all, there's this. I want you to know how valuable you are to God. To know that God created all of this for us. He had a purpose and plan. He knew that he wanted children that could love him back. But he had to risk the fact that they may not love him as he loved them. But that was okay because he had grace. Built into the plan from the beginning was his grace. That even if they reject me, even if they fail me, even if they sin, that I have a plan in place so they can come back. 
so they can be my children again. And we can be restored as they receive the righteousness of my son Jesus. And they're able to come back. That's how valuable you are to God. That's how much He loves you. He knew that it was hopelessly predictable that we would fail Him. And yet God proceeded with the plan. And God kept on going with His creation because He had a plan. Not only a purpose, but He had grace. And coupled together, the plan works. He was willing to take the risk of love with every human being because He had a plan to offer redemption to us all. And He still wants to see every one of us saved. Now, we can reject him, and many do. But Peter tells us that he is not willing that any would perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. That is God's heart. That is God's plan. And his grace provides that opportunity for all. Will we fail? Of course. Will we choose to receive the salvation he offers us through Jesus Christ? I hope so. Because his purpose and grace created a plan. That has saved you and me. Now the second point is really a question then. Do you appreciate God's love enough to give it back to him in love and obedience? He made a plan. He loves you with an incredible love like no one else will ever love you in your life. Do you love him? Or will you discount, reject his offer? We were saved before the world began. But each of us must personalize what God has done. We must accept that plan personally. You can't ride on the coattails of your mom and dad who are really good people, you know, really follow God. And you say, well, it goes along with my family heritage. No, it doesn't. You can't say that, you know, I'll just measure up my good works against everybody else's and I've got more than them, so I'm probably going to be okay. You know, I, I look pretty good compared to others doesn't work that way. The only way it works is for God's purpose and grace to be brought together and for you to receive the grace gift that he's offering you in Jesus Christ. Will you appreciate what God has done? Enough to love him back? Or will you discount what he has done and reject him? Because many have, millions have. Jesus said, you know, there's, there's a broad path that many people are on, and that path leads to destruction. It leads to wrath, to judgment. It says that in Matthew 7. But he says there is a narrow path, a narrow gate, and there are few who find that. It's the path of life. It's the path of salvation. It's the path of eternity with God. What about you? Which group are you going to be traveling with? Where are you going to arrive? God has a plan. And because he's God, he always accomplishes his goal. But he allows for free will. In fact, without our free will, God's purpose and intent becomes meaningless because he didn't want puppets or robots. He wanted people that could choose for themselves. And so the risk of love was to give them that choice. I love you. I want you. I want to be with you forever. But you choose whether you want that or not. That's the risk of love. It is the linchpin. This free will is the linchpin of the whole plan. You know, it's like 
you know, is this going to work? Are people going to come back? It's also, I thought of like the Achilles heel of the whole plant, you know. It can just be ruined because somebody can say no. Somebody can reject what God has offered. It's the best offer they will ever receive. And they just say no. No, I don't want that. I want to do my own thing. I want to do it my way. And God took a risk in loving creatures who can reject him. But that's the only way this choice can have any meaning. God is taking a risk with you. What are you going to do with him? What are you going to do about his love? Do you believe that Jesus came to this earth to die on your behalf? Do you believe that he came to pay sin's penalty for you? Are you willing to trust him to save you? Are you willing to receive him as your Lord and Savior this morning? If you are, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. In a few minutes, we're going to be singing a song about the amazing grace of God. It'll be a time for you to surrender your life to God and say, God, I know what you've done. I see what you've done even from the beginning. From, from creation, you have loved me. And you have provided a way for me to be saved. And today, you will receive and accept that salvation. God is offering you through Christ. In Christ, you can be free today. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for each person here. You know all of us so well, so intimately. We could never know that much about another person. You know all the ups and downs. You know the, the trials. You know uh, the successes. You know the ins and outs of our relationships. You know what the whole journey has been from beginning up to this point. You love us. You love us with an incredible love that is limitless. God, you've always loved us. You've loved us in our unlovableness. You've loved us when we failed you. You've loved us when we've rejected your offers. You've loved us when we've been trapped in sin and when we've been following our own path or just going along with everyone else down that broad path to destruction. And you've sent your Son to redeem us. You've sent your Son to forgive us. May we come back if we are still lost today. May we come back in faith and surrender to you. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing?